This is Shore in Your Ears, the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. The Student Housing and University Real Estate Initiative is an international membership, data analytics, and content source for planners in university real estate and student housing, with the mission to improve student lives and enhance the built environment in university neighborhoods. On April 20th, 2023, the Shore Initiative was joined by Mr. James Hunt, Global Head of Real Estate at Global Student Accommodation. Mr. Hunt leads the global real estate team and is responsible for the expansion of its real estate portfolio through the acquisition of development opportunities and investment properties. Mr. Hunt is a chartered surveyor with over 20 years experience of purpose-built student accommodation in the United Kingdom, Europe, Australia, and the United States. Mr. Hunt has delivered complex projects in investment strategy, acquisition, development, asset management, joint ventures, and university partnerships. Mr. Hunt joined GSA in 2018. Prior to this role, worked for the Unite Group for 17 years. In that position, he held a variety of senior positions, including as a member of the management board and leading its annual development program, producing over 5,000 beds per year. In this interview, Mike Port of the Scion Group participated. Uh, James, there's been some pretty significant macro factors in the today's global economy. There's been the re recovery from COVID. There's war in Eastern Europe, rising inflation rates and rising interest rates in a lot of the developed countries. From a big picture perspective, how would you describe the current moment in real estate, especially as it impacts student housing and university real estate? Um. When, when you play it back like that, there's some uh, serious issues in the world, aren't there? So I guess there's three points here. Um, when you think about inflation, you see real estate being that classic hedge against inflation. If you think about student accommodation, the ability to rebase your rents on an annual basis, you know, is quite special compared to many other real estate asset classes where it may be time-bound at five-year leases or whatever it might be. So that is tremendously attractive given the current environment. I think if you're an investor in real estate, you then say around what, uh, which aspect or which sector within real estate you want to invest into. And what we're seeing in the last few years, and we saw this through COVID and we're seeing it now, is a reallocation and a shaking of the tree in terms of some of the traditional sectors falling out of favour. And instead, what used to be deemed to be an alternative asset class, a student, has really risen in popularity and fame due to the great fundamentals that exist. So you see that structural change where things like retail are less favourable, student with growing demand, semi-limited supply, the ability to have very high occupancy and recurring rental growth, you know, more money's coming into that sector. And I think that will remain the case, especially through turbulent times. Um, I guess the third point would be when you again if you're the investor into student just thinking about the diversification and for us we saw this through covid we had some countries where um legislation was introduced in favor of the the, the, the tenant um which may impact um demand or, or rental levels by some students would want you know catch back effectively because they couldn't occupy their accommodation and then we saw other markets where actually even if it was in-person teaching 
there was no intervention by the government, students still paid the rent, occupation was very high. And so with a diversified portfolio, we found that that balanced out the risk associated with anything in terms of um, governance changes or legislation changes. And then finally, we're now seeing those markets bounce back. So Australia would be an example where you know students can now access that country again, especially the prevalence of internationals and rents are, and occupancy are both uh, improving dramatically. Uh, James, over the recent years, there has been a surge in student enrollments in Canada, Australia, and uh, some of the East Asian countries. At uh, GSA, when you look at this, what are the most important enrollment trends globally that you see as they impact your work in purpose-built student accommodation? Okay, so I'd say there's some fundamental demographic points here at play, irrespective of the country or the, the, the continent that you're focused upon. So the underlying principle is how many people are there of university age that have demand in that country or place? You then scratch beneath the surface and understand the, the makeup of that demographic group. So if you think about international students, are they just internationals or are they actually is it around the country of origin and the prevalence of that students in that country to one purpose built and the ability to afford the product and the demand for it and so on. So, for example, you know that Chinese students will have a higher propensity to book purpose-built accommodation than certain other countries. And so understanding that it's not just internationals, but it's then that granularity, that's really important for us when we look at demand and so on. We then have participation levels. So if you think about domestic students, how many choose to go to university, and that links back to the overall number of people of university age. We then think about the underlying qualities of the higher education providers. And the classic thing we're interested in there is the relationship between applications for a place at that university versus the number of acceptances. And if there's a um, over-indexing of applications, then that demonstrates there's pent-up demand and that university can grow if they so desire. And so we're trying to understand that in advance given how long take, projects can take to, to get to fruition and focus upon those university locations where there's growing demand and basically supply will keep pace with that because that would create some very interesting uh, operational dynamics. Michael, take the next question. Yeah, um, the GSA is around the world. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about what your acquisition or development plans are over the next uh, one to two years in North America, Europe, or East Asia. Great. So th there's a combination of things at play here. So first of all, um, we're well-versed in going into a new territory and building scale quickly. So if I took the USA as an example, um, at the start of 2020, we, we were not in the USA. We had zero presence. Despite the challenges of um, launching a new venture during COVID, by December 2020, we bought an operating business and we had our first 8,000 beds. If we fast forward to today, we now have a long-term uh, joint venture with Morgan Stanley. We've got around 2.5 billion of AUM and around 20,000 beds in terms of assets. And that's the tip of the iceberg. You know, we see doubling of that venture in the next two, three years. So that's in the marketplace where there's obviously massive demand and there's quite a lot of supply. And hence, the opportunity exists to be an investor and a consolidator. If we look at, say, Japan, where there isn't really the product, you've got to be a pioneer. 
And so in Tokyo, we had two developments or two, two operational schemes that we developed ourselves. We had to innovate in terms of product type, because of the barriers to entry in that market are massive, they're off the scale because of the price of land, the availability and the cost of building. And we had to really use our expertise in terms of how we package up developments to create efficiencies and actually make schemes viable. The attraction of that though is, take Tokyo as the example still, in a city of a million students, if we can um, prove the concept, and that's what we're in the process of doing now, the opportunities are endless. So coming back to America, I think it's more of a consolidation play and buying existing assets. Somewhere like Japan and other areas in Asia, it will be more of a development play because the product doesn't exist. And then Europe will be in between, depending upon the, the country you're in. So the UK is more like the US. You know, it's an established sector, been around for 30 years. Mainland Europe, it's more in its infancy. So there are some assets, but it's more about the development phase. Really what we want to do though is be that global consolidator and build the, the ultimate global portfolio in terms of quality based in capital cities and the major education centers um, around the globe. Uh, there, there has been a, you know, challenges in recent years from the pandemic to inflation to uh, rising interest rates. So w with a combination of these collective challenges, how, how have you positioned, uh, how has the business positioned itself as an innovator during this period of time? Um, in many ways, but if I come back to an example in terms of the ground up approach, we know the challenges around viability never go away. We know the challenges around affordability, for example. What we seek to do is based upon um, the specifics of the marketplace and demand and the nuances, is create the right product for that market. But then we can have the ability to transport, uh, transport that knowledge elsewhere if appropriate. So the example I'll give you is, again, it's back to Tokyo, very constrained market. There we've developed a concept of six people living in an apartment that is only 360 square feet in area. Well, if you talk back to North America, I don't think the concept will work. People will be used to probably double that amount of space per person, let alone for six people. But the point is, when we think about the challenges of going into those higher barrier uh, markets, the more metropolitan areas of North America, for example, the ability to innovate with the type of product to get those efficiencies and create a viable uh, product that meets investor returns, believably is affordable to students. That's where we use our knowledge and experience from many years and many different areas to be greater than the sum of the parts. And so in turbulent times that you know we're currently experiencing, and um, the innovative solutions become ever more relevant. Mike, next question. Yeah, um, uh, James, we're wondering, we know about the partnership with Morgan Stanley, um, or if, if you're also seeking out any other unique debt or JV equity partnerships, and also um, the public-private partnership with development on campus is a big thing in the US and Canada. Is that something that GSA would be, would be considering in, in either of those countries? So if I take the first strand, um, what we've really seen over the last 20, 30 years in the sector is the evolution in the type of capital that's coming. So clearly, when uh, the risk is higher, 
it will be that shorter term opportunistic capital that needs to be a higher return for the risk profile of the, of the project. What we're now seeing with student housing being truly established as an asset class in its own right is a shift to long-term global capital. The rise wants to write big checks and doesn't want to get involved with small deals. And where it understands um, the marketplace, it will want exposure to many different countries. So really what we're seeking to do is have relationships with that type of capital that will follow us around the globe, create that premium portfolio that I mentioned earlier, um, and really we'll do that at scale. And I think the world of the future will not be about who's in the top 10 at country level, but who's in the top 10 at global level. And that would be the same for capital as it will be for the specialist providers or operators or whatever. With reference to the public-private partnerships, that's not a world we currently are in in terms of on-campus, but I do see that happening over time. And we're well versed in that. We do understand the model and the, the, the similarities, but equally the differences versus off-campus. What we do have, though, is long-term relationships with universities. We understand how they work, what they want from their partners, albeit that's in an off-campus world. So, you know, we've got projects which are leased to universities for 10, 15, 20 years. What that creates, though, is some quite interesting in terms of the, the financial model, because clearly the cap rate will be lower given the risk profile of that type of agreement versus necessarily direct let. What that can then mean is the ability to offer the rents at a lower level because the cap rate compensates for that. And when we think about affordability and the spread of product and price point, you know, that's the positive. So that's definitely a, a world we'll continue to embrace. And yeah, I think we'll be, we'll be both an on and off campus provider in due course. How do you anticipate property technology innovations uh, from both the landlord and tenant perspectives? Um, when we talk about property technology, we refer to the uh, the technology that's improving the operator and landlord experience or subsequently improving the tenant experience uh, in, in all-in-one applications. Um, how do you expect property technology will cause further evolution in the real estate industry at large and specifically at uh, GSA? So a few different strands to this, but um, data can only be a benefit both to the, the actual people that reside in these properties, but also owners and operators. So if you think from a student perspective, you know, we create some brilliant facilities as an industry nowadays, but does that always meet the requirements of the consumer? Most times, yes, but there may be instances where it doesn't. Well, understanding usage patterns through data and being able to track, you know, the route of student data around the building or which rooms they go into in terms of common amenity and so on, and then reflecting that in the design, you know, that's something that's becoming increasingly prevalent. So, frankly, um, avoiding operators wasting money on facilities that won't get used. Because it's very easy to throw specification at a project or the rental, but what you really need to do is understand consumer demand and what students actually value. So we've definitely seen how that data has influenced how we go about designing buildings, and I think that will continue. The other point I'd make is, if you think about sort of global trends, if you think about how many devices we'll have that are connected to the internet, that need to draw power or whatever, and then the world of the future where we'll be 10, 15, 20 years time, thinking about that in advance, 
and um, changing the approach is going to be very important. And that will then create some challenges. So if you think about ESG and energy consumption, there's a lot that people are doing to offset that, to change using patterns to improve efficiency. But equally, the demands that will be placed upon buildings will increase. So there'll be always a bit of friction between those things. But as a general point of view, data, systems, technology, they, they can only benefit everyone. The important thing is, though, what someone does with that data rather than just creating data for the sake of it through whatever systems uh, or proprietary information people have. Mike? Uh, yeah, um, James, one question I had for you is, especially considering the kind of markets that you're in, um, something we've seen worldwide is that the number of, of Chinese students going to other countries to study has gone down as the Chinese higher education system has grown. Um, in a lot of countries, that, that's been replaced and picked up by students from India and for some, from some other countries that tend to have less disposable income available and makes affordability much tighter, which is something I appreciate you've mentioned a few times. Student affordability is a, is a key element in, in all of this. In the other countries, have you started to see or has, has GSA made any noticed efforts around adjusting some of the product types um, or adjusting occupancy levels or maybe changing densities uh, to account for some of the changing dynamics in the international student populations? Um, so yes and no. So firstly, in our portfolio, we've not seen that drop off in, in Chinese students in particular. But that may be a function of our investment strategy, our approach to understanding which markets to be in versus which markets not to be in. And if you're in the best education centres with the best quality education on offer, I don't think those will fall out of favour despite the um, initiatives in China to create, you know, worldwide class institutions of education. Having said that, what is very um, important to us is to create a range of product types and price points so that we've got something for everyone. And if you think about a conversation a student may have with a property manager or a sales manager or whoever, they may love the product, they may love the operator and the all-inclusive rents or the security or the common room or the study area or whatever the proposition is, but they may not be able to afford it. But if you've got something similar but may just be in a you know, half mile down the road or it's in an older asset or whatever, so it's essentially the same experience, but it may not have quite as modern a look and feel. Then you can clearly you offer that at a different price point, and you can still capture that student who will be very happy there, be very satisfied, and they'll still see its value for money. So for us, it's about more than just a one-size-fits-all approach of a new shiny building built last year with the highest price point, because clearly that's a finite marketplace. So back to your point, we're not really adopting the model down to risks around country of origin of particular international students. Instead, we're trying to optimise our offering overall so that we can be appealing to a broad range of people, not just that top slice that will pay the highest renters. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Um, how do you think uh, this is going? Do anything else we should raise or ask or any other topics? Um, No, I think that's reasonably broad. I don't think there's anything specific. 
Okay. okay. Um, James, one thing I wanted to mention, and uh, Brian, you can edit this in or out. Um, yeah. I really appreciate what you just said about the, the diversity of things, because there's been um, – there are a lot of similarities in how, what I've read about how GSA has grown in other countries, and now that it's just getting into the states, um, that line up very much with a lot of Scions, um, how they've grown. Um, and yeah. if you follow Scion, like you probably know, they've got four distinct brands, and they're specifically set up for exactly those reasons to try to give students the same great experience, but at different price points and different amenities and things like that. And it is like. Um, banging one's head against a brick wall in a country where the purpose-built market is is uh, much more in a developmental stage to help people realize not everybody can have a luxury building because there aren't enough students that can afford a luxury building. And if you all end up half empty in five years, none of you are going to be very happy. Um, so I, I very much appreciate that and feel free to spread that philosophy around. Well, indeed, and, you know, hey, we're a commercial organisation, so clearly we have a duty to our investors to give them good returns, and of course. But equally, we always appreciate the fact that there are people living and breathing, residing in our communities, um, and they typically don't necessarily have jobs. So affordability is an issue. But the point on branding is an, is an interesting one. If you think about how the sector will grow and evolve, the concept of students wishing to live in a branded community that has a defined offering, that's something we think would be increasingly prevalent. So if you think about it in a hotel sense, and mm -hmm. um, you know, you'd be in one city or country or, or wherever, you may, you know, favor a particular hotel chain because you know what you get and you like living there and there's a loyalty program and it's a known offering. We're definitely seeing that emerge in the student world. And you know, we've got relationships with some universities who are in different countries. Um and then, you know, they wish to partner with us. You know, New York University would be an example. They're with us in Spain and elsewhere because they know what they're getting. And then we get some quite interesting things around exchange programs where students can go off and live within the same, uh, with the same provider but in a different country for a few weeks of the summer. And so that cross-fertilisation and the ability to, you know, let someone see the world, as it were, that's really interesting, and I think that's what comes around from being a global but also a brand to the wider. Thank you for joining Shore In Your Ears. Today's podcast with Mr. James Hunt, Global Head of Real Estate at Global Student Accommodation, recorded on April 20th, 2023. You have been listening to Shore In Your Ears, the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. Please visit us at shore.international. That's S-H-U-R-E dot international. 